Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and this is my co-host Morgan. Hello. So last week we had a very, you know, intellectual podcast episode where we analyzed the new Philip Pullman novel in depth. It was wonderful. This week we're going in precisely the opposite direction with a short and sweet podcast about Justice League, which I saw at a midnight screening last night and Morgan has elected to not watch at all. No, I refuse. I will be getting my information from you. I feel you are a reliable source. And that's it. Done. Yeah. The end. And I feel like also this is one of these movies where quite a lot of our listeners will perhaps not see the film, but might want to know what happens and what our opinions are. So we're here for that, or I'm here for that. And Morgan's here (laughs) to be kind of a a cheerleader slash experimental guinea pig. (laughs) So Morgan, do you know what this film is about? No. I literally know nothing. I read no reviews. I did not listen to any of my other podcasts that discussed it specifically so that I could come to this experience as purely as possible. Okay. I I have seen the trailer too many times, but that's it. Because surprisingly enough, I also knew very little about what this film was about, even though I kind of have to watch all the trailers and follow this stuff vaguely. So I knew that mother boxes were involved, which is the DC Comics equivalent of Infinity Stones. So, you know, there's a villain and he's trying to collect them. But while I was watching the movie, as it kind of progressed, I was like, holy shit, this film, first of all, is about nothing. And secondly, (laughs) there's no themes whatsoever. But also secondly, it is really just the Avengers, but bad. Oh, no. Just really awkward for the many, many DC internet fanboys who are constantly like on and on about the DC Marvel rivalry because the premise of this film is literally an alien villain played by an English Shakespearean actor comes to Earth. He needs to use like a sparkly alien device to mind control people into an army of drones and then he's going to take over the world. So as a result... They have to form a superhero team and, like, beat him. Oh, no. <laughs> so oh, it's no. it's precisely the same. I mean, the, the differences are, in this case, the villain's a lot worse. Because essentially, instead of it having, like, a fun Loki-type villain, like in Avengers, they've gone straight for the Thanos villain. So yeah. it's... Um, Is it Kieran Hines? It's Kieran Hines, but yeah. I don't remember the name of the character. Yeah. Um, so they've got Kieran Hines voicing this kind of CGI demon who... Really doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have any kind of backstory as such other than he once attacked before and then he was repelled by the Atlantean army and the Amazons. And then he has this power that's like split into three mother boxes. And they're meant to have different traits, but they really poorly explain it. So it's very clearly just like three glowing MacGuffins. And one of them has the power to like build life or something. And once he's got them all then he combines them and it's sort of like having the one ring in Lord of the Rings. There's definitely like a Lord of the Rings vibe in there as well because one box went to the the water people, one went to the Amazons and one went to the humans and they like buried it in a forest. But it's literally the premise of Avengers, but just every aspect of it is just executed really incompetently. So instead of it feeling like a sort of organic and fun story where everyone has a role that makes sense for their character, obviously it's like the opposite of that. So it's like there's kind of, if you remember Batman v Superman, which God knows none of us do, there's this scene where they kind of try to tie into the future Justice League. So they like introduce each of the characters from these files that Lex Luthor has. And then Bruce Wayne 
obtains. Where Lex Luthor has actually like designed logos and given names to like Wonder Woman and the Flash, which is hilarious in itself. Whatever. Branding is very important. Um, <laughs> but like that level of clumsiness is like incredible even by superhero movie tie-in standards, right? And that's kind of how the whole film feels because uh, Bruce Wayne is like, okay, there's these dangerous demon guys are flying around Gotham um, and I need to collect together a team of superheroes to defeat them, which makes sense from Batman's perspective because he's the kind of person who thinks you can solve widespread problems through being a superhero. He like goes around trying to recruit Wonder Women and what have you. And it's sort of like, wouldn't they like call someone else? And they don't really explain why Aquaman doesn't recruit the other aqua people (laughs) (laughs) because it's not like he's a total outcast because there's a scene where he's in what i'm gonna assume is atlantis but that was actually the most confusing scene in the film because even though the first third of the movie is literally characters explaining who they are and what the concept of the story is at length for no reason they're like oh yes i'm victor and i used to be dead but now i'm a cyborg it's like jesus christ but um (laughs) the one with Aquaman I genuinely don't know what was going on because there was him and Amber Heard who plays you know the girl in the Aquaman movie the princess or whatever and they're underwater and they just had this conversation where I think my brain just like fell out I don't (laughs) they were they were trying to explain something about the Queen of Atlantis about 12 hours later I was like that must be Nicole Kidman's character yeah in the Aquaman movie his mother It was the reverse of exposition because they were trying to explain something to me and I just wound up being more confused. Um, (laughs) And also like Amber Heard, she was delivering her lines in such a weird way. I don't know if she was doing it. I don't know. It was just terrible. The only spoiler I consumed for this film was a tweet informing me that Aquaman swims in jeans in this film (laughs) and that this was profoundly offensive to the tweeter and I agreed. I was like, this is not acceptable. (laughs) Who made this choice? I have to say, first of all, I loved Aquaman throughout this film. He was completely amazing. And secondly, the best scene in the film is where Aquaman, aka Jason Momoa, tears off his shirt in front of Bruce Wayne. And you can kind of almost see Ben Affleck seething with envy. (laughs) Because he's just like, Jason Momoa is like the most shredded man on planet Earth, you know? And basically his entire role is just to be like really cool. And he's just acting like Jason Momoa, which is incredibly (laughs) charming, but also an asshole, but so confident and good looking that he can completely get away with all of it. (laughs) So it's like he's just dominating the screen and they've got all this kind of macho posturing between him and Bruce Wayne. But obviously Bruce Wayne is shit. (laughs) So it's very, very clear who's coming out on top there, even though Aquaman is probably not too bright. He also gets, like, one of the best lines, which is one of these parts that's very clearly written in later by Joss Whedon. He gets embarrassed in front of the other characters, and he threatens the Flash to make sure the Flash doesn't tell anyone that he's, like, been embarrassing. And his threat is, I will introduce you to every prawn I know. What? Because he's in charge of all the fish and the prawns, because he's the king of the ocean, Morgan. I I get it, but also... What? (laughs) No. No, no. I mean, you can probably tell from my tone of voice already, but this film is better than Batman v Superman, right? Because that's because Batman v Superman is like the worst film I have ever seen in my life, except maybe Suicide Squad. They're both the bottom of the list. I can't 
pick between them. Well, the thing is, right, that both of those movies are qualitatively just abysmal, right? But they also have this emotional tone that is just like really unpleasant. Like they're kind of morally bankrupt and every character in them is really unpleasant. And it's just, it was just like such a kind of oppressively disgusting experience to watch both of them. Whereas this film, obviously it still has that Zack Snyder thing where it's all like filmed through a murky layer of horrible CGI that just looks terrible. But all of the people in the Warner Brothers offices were like, oh, we have to have them be friends and do jokes now. So it's obviously very cynical in the same way that like Doctor Strange is cynical and they kind of stuck jokes onto that, but it's it's just nothing. It's like quite forgettable. It's not offensive. Yeah. It's just incompetent, but I feel like if there's people out there who are just really fucking desperate to see a live action Justice League movie, I don't think they're going to like go to bed crying at night, you know? Um <laughs> Because the characters do actually act relatively nice. It really was fascinating to watch it because it, it's so kind of lazy and unimaginative that when they got to the final battle sequence, I was like, wait, oh, we're here now? <laughs> <laughs> because they've been setting up this, I guess, battle location in Russia, I guess. And then for the sure. final act, it kind of gets transformed into this CGI landscape with loads of stuff coming out of the mother boxes. But then they defeat the villain really easily. And then it's over. <laughs> so most of the film is getting the team together in a way that just feels like it's built up to something that never happens. And like the only really meaningful aspects of the film are the fact that we meet the Flash, who's Ezra Miller, so he's super charming. And we meet Aquaman, and he's super charming in like a very different way. And they resurrect Superman which is like the big twist, but it's also really obvious because we know that Superman's in it. Yes. Um, so they use the mother box to bring him back to life. And once again, just very fascinating because this is meant to be like the biggest superhero franchise in the world. And Superman genuinely is just kind of a non-entity in his own film. Yeah. Because Henry Cavill is a wooden actor. They're still not really letting him be charming because he's just come back from the dead. So he's just really angry again well he can't be charming because he can't he's not capable of it he's no. meant to be like the charming film he did in quotes was man for uncle and he's not charming in that i mean some people like that movie enjoy i guess i'm happy for you but i watched that because so many people talk about it on Twitter and I was I like, really, I don't understand what's happening. I really happening. don't like that film. I don't it's like terrible. it. It's terrible. I'm sorry. It's really, I know really that bad. Loads of our listeners will undoubtedly love Man from Uncle, but I just don't fucking like it. And I definitely like Army Hammer more than I like Henry Cavill I in that film. I am in love with Army Hammer after Call Me by Your Name. Wonderful man. Also, if you read interviews with him, it seems like he has a personality, which is a plus. Uh, but also, he's just, like, genuinely a good actor. I've seen him, I think, in maybe one or two other character-y things. He's really good in The Social Network, obviously, which is his sort of breakout. Yeah, um, for sure. But he's amazing. Call me by your name. And even he can't make anything out of Man from Uncle. The script is so appalling. But he's not totally horrible. Henry Cavill in this and in his various Superman things, he just, there's nothing behind his eyes. I, this is really mean, but I'm sorry. Like, he's just so wooden. There's just nothing there. He's just so, and also like in this film, obviously he's just dominated by his mustache, <laughs> which is the only thing oh anyone is ever going to remember about this movie. Yeah. Yeah. If you've not seen the backstory to this, listeners, basically 
they had to reshoot a lot of this film. Um, like Zack Snyder had to step away from the movie kind of partway through shooting and then he was replaced by Joss Whedon. So there was more reshooting than one usually gets in this type of film. Um, but Henry Cavill had already started filming Mission Impossible where his character has a moustache and he was contractually obliged to keep the moustache. So they had to film like his remaining Superman scenes with blue CGI dots in his face so they could remove it in post-production. And apparently Warner Brothers spent $25 million on this, which first of all is like painful because you could spend that money on things to improve the world. But also it's really, really uncanny because I'd actually forgotten this when I went into the cinema to watch the movie. But as soon as he came up on screen, I was like, what's wrong with his face? And then it dawns on you that like his entire kind of jaw area and his upper lip are computer generated. And whenever he has a close up, it's very noticeable. And like, I was just, I was really confused, right? Because like, I, I kind of tweeted about this because I was just like, it's so fucking distracting. And then all of these DC fanboys started replying to me being like, it's only one scene. And also you can like not notice it at all. And it's more than one fucking scene. Because, <laughs> I, because there were definitely parts of this film where like I didn't notice it or it wasn't there. But he's not in that many scenes. And in most of them, whenever he's in close-up, he doesn't look like a human person talking. (laughs) This is also, like, they've gotten so good at this stuff that it's strange to me that he looks that bad. Like, you would think they would have been able to do this convincingly. Well, the CGI throughout the entire film is really bad. Right. Because obviously it's got the Zack Snyder aesthetic, which in the first place I don't like. But I think if I was watching, you know, 300 or something, even though I don't enjoy the aesthetic, it would I would be able to like immerse myself in the world. But in this film, it looked really bad and unconvincing and not in a kind of intentionally unconvincing heightened reality kind of way. Yeah. But there was also just a massive variety of different kinds of light sources and filming techniques. So some parts of it just looked straightforwardly normal, like you're just filming... A Christopher Nolan movie basically Christopher Nolan movie scenes there's some scenes that are on the Amazon island so that looked like Wonder Woman except they're wearing like sexier outfits because it's directed by a man and then there's some parts where the whole thing is filmed through kind of like a murky red video game haze and it looks just like a video game cutscene because everything is just going towards fighting the final boss who has no other narrative role and is just Kieran Hines collecting a voice acting paycheck. Um, (laughs) But also every scene with Cyborg in it, like Cyborg looks, he just looks like Pixar. (laughs) Yeah. Which is like, and obviously like every superhero movie has a fuck ton of CGI. And if you notice, it doesn't really matter. And most of the time you don't notice because technology is at the point where, you know, you're just convinced that there really are like a bunch of flying tendrils in the air from alien spaceships. Um, But in this one, so Cyborg is like the least famous character in the team that they've selected for this lineup. And he's really got a bad way in this film uh, because obviously Ezra Miller is the breakout star. He's really funny. I mean, if you've seen the trailers... You've seen basically most of the jokes that he gets in the movie, but he is genuinely really charming, mostly because Ezra Miller himself is really charming and has a lot of life in all of his performances. And Jason Momoa also basically playing himself, so he's great. We already love Wonder Woman, so they don't really have to make much effort with her character. And then you have Cyborg, who is really obscure, so people don't really know who the fuck that is. Like, people can at least vaguely say, oh, Aquaman, he's like the fish guy. Yeah. 
Cyborg, the name is kind of self-explanatory, but his backstory is alarmingly dark considering the amount of screen time he gets and the overall tone of the film, which is like trying to just make a fun action comedy blockbuster. So he is a young man. I think the implication is that he's actually only a high school grad because like he died soon after he finished high school in a car crash. He was a football star. He was an academic scholar. He was just basically like an amazing kid who had a bright future ahead of him. Then he died and his father, who's a scientist, used one of the mother boxes to resurrect him. But the only way it could do that was by implanting most of his body with all this cybernetic stuff. Um, So they've got this Frankenstein vibe where this kid just basically doesn't know what the fuck to do with himself and it's got all these implants that are constantly evolving. Basically his body has been mutilated which is also kind of an ongoing theme. There's quite a lot of superhero comics characters who are a black man who has his body changed by someone else and like hasn't, mm-hmm. hasn't, hasn't their mind is like controlled and stuff and it's really quite poorly handled. In this one they don't go into that at all but it's like a weird subtext to have in yeah. such a minor, like a minor role. And That's some pretty heavy shit. And then at one point during a fight scene towards the end, he literally has his leg physically torn off his body. Okay. And it's like not a big deal because it's not a real leg. And then like a few minutes later, they just put it back on. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? I was just like immediately dragged out of it because I was like, holy shit, someone's leg just got pulled off. It's weird, right? And his actual role is, he's kind of like the computer guy, like the smart one kind of, but... He doesn't really have a clear personality yet because, once again, kind of a random character and he's played by this actor that has never been in anything else. So he's really a lore kind of fame level from all the other cast members. Well, and if you want to be really cynical about it, uh, they needed a black guy in this film. And so they picked a character. Yeah, that's pretty clearly why he's in the film. And I feel bad for that actor because they haven't actually greenlit his solo movie yet. Yeah. And the others have got solo movies and it's just like, this is this is bullshit, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially seeing as, like I said, most of his body is CGI. So like there's some parts where he's wearing a hoodie kind of over his body. But when you see his body, it's made of metal and then it's kind of his face is hovering above it. But you can tell that there's his face and then the rest of it, the texture they've used for the metal doesn't look like any kind of normal metal. It's like super, super shiny. Mm -hmm. Um, So it looks really unreal. Like he doesn't have weight to his body. Yeah, it's a weird situation and it doesn't work. The CGI stuff I find fascinating because so many of these super, super big budget films are so bad at it. And then you'll get really low budget films that, do stuff really well. I mean, something like Thor, the CGI was fine. So it's not like they all fuck it up. But like Ex Machina, which actually won an Oscar for this, which is unusual for such a low budget movie, had probably the best CGI I've seen in years in a film. And the budget for that movie was $30 million. And they basically spent all of it on CGI for Alicia Vikander's character, who's a robot. And, like, they had one thing to do in that, which was her character. But you just think, like, I'm looking at the budget now for this film. And I just, I don't know enough about the industry to know what is going on behind the scenes. Okay, yeah, the budget for this film was $300 million. Like, how does this happen? Who are they hiring? What's going on? Like, it's just boggling I mean, it's definitely partly 
Zack Snyder's very yes. bizarre taste, obviously, yeah. because he has this really distinctive and I would describe shitty style. <laughs> um, but this film, I think this... And Batman v Superman was like really ugly to look at, but I don't recall it being quite as kind of unconvincing as this film, which is kind of different categories. And then, like you said, if you think about, for example, Neil Blomkamp's movies, his yeah, are much lower budget, but they are famously really, really convincing. I would love to know from an expert in CGI why these Zack Snyder films and this film particularly is just so bad. Or like when I searched this on Google, the other the other DC movies came up and like the CGI in Wonder Woman, a lot of it was terrible too, right? The like big CGI stuff. And I, maybe it's just that the bigger stuff is harder. The like final battle stuff in Wonder Woman was completely appalling. The smaller sort of fight scene stuff was fine. But also they're doing like a full background. Um yeah. If you think about like X-Men Apocalypse, right? Not a great film, but that has a massive final battle sequence where Magneto is kind of flinging all this metal into the air and stuff. And obviously that's all completely computer generated, but that was like more convincing. And also you can say the same of like Avengers Age of Ultron, right? You know? I think that movie looks pretty shitty. I mean, But Apocalypse is a good example. You know, they're like, fine, right? That's like the level where I'm like, this is acceptable because you're not expecting a lot of visual artistry. Unlike in Star Wars, where obviously, you know, space battles, it's all fake, but it's completely immersive and it's also really well designed and it's kind of rooted in reality in a way that, you know, you don't really see in a lot of other films with that level of CGI. Basically, in conclusion, this film is the absolute bottom of that scale that I have seen from a mainstream <laughs> blockbuster. And also, it's especially noticeable because, like I said, you've got like this massive difference between the visual tones they've used in the film. Yeah. Well, so much went on behind the scenes with the director and Zack Snyder had a horrible family situation and he had to step back from it. So there was a lot going on that wasn't entirely within their control, but it was just fiasco. The whole thing was just a mess for everyone but they shouldn't have been doing it in the first place so i mean this is everyone has obviously said this for years but like the attempt to almost reverse engineer this as opposed to marvel and i think marvel's obviously completely cynical too and the last couple big team movies they've done i find almost unwatchably bad like i just don't care for them at all and even the avengers which i think is fun like I've only seen that a few times and the last time I saw it it becomes so mechanical like if you've seen it enough that it, I didn't find it fun anymore because to balance that many characters in a movie like this you have to become a bit cynical in what you're doing but that obviously is the I one mean, that I still works think the, the best is great because that kind of film it's not designed to stand up to like intensive analytical scrutiny five years later after watching like 11 worst films in the same series. So like I definitely rate Avengers as the lone really good team up movie. But yeah, like with this one, I'm very curious, as are you, I'm sure, about the future of the Batman franchise. Because I think at this point, it's kind of pretty clear that Ben Affleck is not going to do the next Batman movie. Like he's been making noises about dropping out for most of it. But then the post-credit sequence for this film was just a teaser for the Batman villain. I mean, they don't want him anymore. No. So I think it's a bit mutual. But even if he did want to, he's done. Um, and there have been lots of rumors about 
like completely specious rumors. Like, this is not based on reality at all. But the fact that there have been so many rumors suggests that there will be a next Batman <laughs> in the imminent future who will not be Ben Affleck. And yeah, I don't know why they cast him in the first place. It was a terrible, terrible decision. He shouldn't have done it. I mean, I kept thinking through the film, that's Ben Affleck. Like, I kept thinking yeah. of him as Ben Affleck. Yeah. He just has always wanted so desperately to be a movie star, and he's never been a movie star. He's very famous, but in a very specific definition of that term, he has never succeeded. Like, he did Gribble Hunting, and then he did a bunch of terrible, terrible blockbuster films. And then he did the directing stuff, and I don't think he's ever made a particularly great film, but he was very successful at that. And then instead of continuing to do that, he decided to become Batman because he just wanted so badly to be a movie star. It's like, buddy, you're not Matt Damon. Just give it up. Just stop. Uh, and this didn't work for him, so they're going to stop with that. And he's also facing some other problems right now in terms of the current uh, crisis in Hollywood. So, yeah, he's done. Um, it will be interesting to see who they get next. I mean, I'm interested. Um, like, what they should do is just remove this Batman and kind of replace him with a non-Bruce Wayne Batman, you know, if they have like a Nightwing or whatever. Which they won't do. It's not going to happen. They've set up this cool idea where there's a middle-aged Batman character who's explicitly meant to be like, oh, I've been Batman for 20 years, which is an interesting concept they've now completely squandered. And also, like, do, do you know they just changed his entire character in this film? Uh, I'm not surprised to hear that, given that Batman v Superman was like... Uh, disaster on every level yeah because he was like, he was basically like he was a fucking psycho in batman v superman like i'd forgotten this until recently but the other day i remembered the thing where batman literally brands the bat symbol into criminals bodies yeah to make that even more disturbing i think Zack snyder did an interview where he was like yeah you know if they have that in jail they'll get murdered by the other prisoners and it's like what the fuck are you doing this is completely <laughs> completely way off what this should be in terms of moral content yeah um, no. so in this film he has much less kind of violence to him. Um, he also has less action scenes in general. And the action scenes that he does have are the parts which are most like a video game because it just doesn't, it doesn't even remotely look like a person in a costume. And it certainly yeah. doesn't look like Ben Affleck in a costume. It looks like a, you know, it looks like a, an animated cape. But anyway, <laughs> with this film, they've clearly tried to like soften him up. So this is basically the only part of the film which I thought was conceptually quite interesting, which is that in the kind of intervening time between Batman v Superman and this film, everyone's kind of become really kind of depressed and hopeless because Superman isn't there to help him anymore. Um, and you see kind of more crime is on the rise and that sort of thing. And Bruce Wayne, in his classic guilty fashion, has taken the blame for this privately. And he now has become kind of obsessed with Superman from the other direction. So in Batman v Superman... He hated Superman and saw him as like an alien invader and was terrified of this guy like using his powers to manipulate Earth, right? And now that guy's dead, he's kind of in love with Superman and it actually functions much better as a narrative if you just assume that Bruce Wayne literally is in love with Superman. Um, not in the sense that they had a relationship, which I don't think they did. And also Superman is clearly with Lois Lane in these movies, but in a way that actually makes a lot of sense for Bruce Wayne's character, which is that he has weirdly turned his own guilt into an obsessive romantic love for a dead man. 
which is very <laughs> Batman. <laughs> um, he's like talking about him being like a shining inspiration. And then he tries to put Wonder Woman on that pedestal as like the new inspiration and be like, you should go out in public and be the inspiration. And then after that, they give them a scene that's kind of hinting at a potential for romance in the future. And I'm like, oh my God, she's your Superman stand-in. And then when they inevitably bring Superman back from the dead... Obviously, he doesn't give a shit about Bruce Wayne, but there was all these shots of like Bruce looking at him like, oh my God, he's so impressive and like getting really excited that they're like buddies at the end and stuff. And I'm just like, what, what, what? Um, It's actually much better. I mean, I'm not like, I'm not like a Batman Superman shipper ordinarily, but that kind of angle was the one part of this film where I was like, okay, yeah, that's working. Even though you've done it by accident. (laughs) Should have gone down that road. Oh my god, that's too funny. That is not what I was expecting you to tell me. I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Not expecting this podcast to go in that direction. Uh yeah. Bummer they couldn't have done more with that and or cast characters who have any charisma to make full use of that. I mean Ben Affleck has a little charisma in a very specific way and Henry Cavill, as we have discussed, um doesn't. Well, so. in this film, they're kind of like, yeah, but like Bruce Wayne is kind of a sad sack, which is exactly Ben Affleck's wheelhouse. Yes. Which correct. is like a sad sack who thinks he's really powerful and is trying to intimidate other people, but is feeling emasculated <laughs> by a younger, more virile man, which is literally his role. And himself in real life. So there you go. It's great. Uh, watch Gone Girl if you haven't. Oh, Gone Girl is suggestion. absolutely Ben Affleck's best role and is amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's... Ugh. Perfect. Perfect on every level. And then look up the commentary from David Fincher, which is really something else. Is there anything else we want to say? No. In fact, I think that we've said too much. I think half an hour is too much to spend on this film. Aquaman is very entertaining and an asshole. The Flash is extremely charming because Ezra Miller is extremely charming and also probably exhausting to spend time with because he does seem like he has that much energy in real life. Yeah. I mean, I love him, but I agree that I don't... I I enjoy him from afar, would be my statement on Ezra Miller. Uh, Look forward to his future work. This film is clumsy, it is a waste of time, and most of the fun scenes were already uploaded by Warner Brothers as trailer clips on YouTube, so you can just watch those, and you do not (laughs) need to see the film itself, especially the awful action sequences. I have watched every superhero movie And I have never seen one with such consistently bad and confusing action sequences. And I like action movies. Why why are there no good ones? No good action scenes in this film. Yeah, um, go see Lady Bird or Thor instead. Yeah, Yeah. Thor is out. Imagine the temerity of releasing this film when Thor, a perfect movie, is still in theatres. Oh yeah, it's unfortunate. It'll be interesting to see how much money they make, respectively. Uh, I guess you'll know by the time this comes out. Um, thank you for listening to this lopsided episode. Next week we will be talking about Calling You By Your Name. The opposite of this film in every respect. A masterpiece. A work of art. In the meantime, Americans, enjoy Thanksgiving. And if you enjoyed this, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. It's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com on Twitter at OverInvestedPod, or on Tumblr at OverInvestedPodcast. Thanks. Bye.